This is episode 158 with two-time Olympic trials marathon qualifier, world record holder for the fastest half marathon ever run on a treadmill, and the 2014 Vermont City Marathon champion, Mr. Tyler Andrews. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm your host and the head coach of Strength Running, a community of endurance runners who are passionate about improving and reaching their potential. My goal with Strength Running is to give you the training ideas, strategies, and resources to accomplish all of your big goals, from running your first race ever to completing every world marathon major, preventing your next injury, or becoming a stronger, more coordinated athlete. I'll be bringing you the leaders in the fitness world, the pro coaches, performance experts, elite runners, sports psychologists, thought leaders, physical therapists, and strength coaches to give you new insights into this incredible sport. I want you to better understand running, to view knowledge as a competitive advantage, and to always have the tools to take your running to the next level. Because the more you understand the sport, the better decisions you'll make about your training. Don't miss our other 157 episodes of the podcast, our video channel at youtube.com strengthrunning, or where it all began, strengthrunning.com, where you can find all of our training programs that help you prevent injuries, run faster, develop mental skills, or become a stronger, more powerful athlete. This episode was created with support from Path Projects, a brand of premium, durable running gear that I wear on a nearly daily basis. The quality is outstanding and the prices are affordable. See all of their running gear at pathprojects.com. All right, my guest today is Hoka Elite runner Tyler Andrews. I had Tyler on the podcast a few years ago. He was getting ready for a 50K world record attempt. Now, he just missed that record, but he's been staying busy. He's been staying fit, and he's been going after even more challenges. And that's what our discussion today is all about. Tyler finds himself in a similar situation as the rest of us, training without a clear goal on the calendar. So he made up his own race. Recently, he organized the Chasky Challenge, where over 50 Olympians and other elite runners raced a marathon relay with live tracking and thousands of other runners participating virtually. There was race commentary by Tyler, Des Linden, and Amelia Boone, and this was the most innovative type of virtual race I've ever heard of, and having it organized by a three-time Team USA member and a 50-mile national champ is just incredible. In this conversation, we talk more about this event, more races that he's organizing in the future, giving back to the running community, and how you can get involved too. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Tyler Andrews. So this is definitely an episode where I am going to very much more rely on you to tell this story because you were there, you were living it. And uh, while I've done my homework with the, the links that you provided, thank you for that. Uh, I'm still a little bit of a novice when it comes to fully understanding what went down, how this was structured, the results, and, and all that. So, um, you know, all the, the stories that came out of this kind of crazy event that you did, uh, uh, you'll have to tell those. Yeah, no, I'm I'm psyched to do that, and I I think I'm I'm the right person to do that. We did have a lot of a lot of people involved in this event, um, 
all over the world, both behind the scenes and on camera. But I think I'm probably the the one who had his hands in the most pots. So I'm happy to do it. Yeah, and I'm excited. I mean, you've been doing some really interesting things over the last couple of months during the pandemic. And not only do I think those things are exciting, but you've done it in a way that has brought the wider running community along with you for the ride. So I'm excited to chat with you about this latest challenge, which wrapped up just last weekend. Uh, You put on the Chasky Marathon Relay with thousands of other runners. You had teams of pro runners too. Talk about what this event entailed and why you wanted to start it. Yeah. So the Chasky Challenge, this was actually the second event that we did. So we did one way back in June. Well, way back. It was like three months ago. It feels like a very long time ago at this point. Um, we did a, our first event back in June and with the launch of, of Chasky Endurance Collective, which is um, our, it's our online coaching collective. So it's a group of um, about 30 of us elite, elite athletes who, um, who coach online. And, um, you know, we really founded that group with the idea that we just wanted to try and do things that other people weren't doing. We wanted to try and be innovative in the space and think of cool new things we could do, um, ways that we could foster community in the running world, ways that we could help um, promote the elite side of the sport, ways that we could help um, empower people who are just getting into the sport. Um, so, So that was really kind of the impetus behind everything that we did. And so the first event that we did, it was crazy. It was rushed. We planned the whole thing in like two weeks. Um, and it ended up being really successful. You know, it was it was a smaller scale than this. You know, we only had about eight athletes competing. But um, that event was built around these treadmill world records. So some of your listeners probably heard about that back in early June. If you heard about all these elite runners running on treadmills and setting world records, that was that was the first Chosky Challenge. And um, you know, we also had an, an open race component there where anyone could run. And so this was really built off of the success of that event. And we said, okay, how can we make this bigger, more exciting for the fans, for the athletes, um, more accessible to, to people from all over the world? How can we, um, you know, have a fundraising component? That was a really important thing that we wanted to do um, because running has such a such a deep connection to fundraising. And so that was really where, where the idea came from. And you know, we knew from right after that event that we wanted this one to be focused around the marathon. Uh, I think that we had seen the writing on the wall and had some inside info as early as, you know, May and June that didn't look like a lot of these big marathons that were still on the calendar at that point were actually going to happen. So we said, okay, people are going to be interested in having some kind of marathon thing to run and be a part of. And they're not going to be able to do that in the same way with that, that they're used to in terms of, you know, sitting on a start line with 20,000 people in Hopkinton or something, but what can we do to create something that might feel a little bit like that? And so that was really the goal was to create an event where we could have a really, really big mass community feel, but also have an elite competition and more importantly, really have a way to connect that elite competition with the masses who are competing. And I think that's one of the things that we've been trying to do differently is really bridge that gap that, that, that feels like as someone personally, who's been in, in the professional side of the sport for a long time and is also a fan of the sport, I feel like there's it's often a big missed opportunity there where you have 
this great high level elite competition and you have tens of thousands of very, very dedicated runners, but there's very little overlap there between interest in the elite competition and participation in the mass race. And part of that is like literally pragmatic that they're just, they run at the same time. It's very hard to follow like the New York city marathon. If you're running in the New York city marathon, you know? Um, so anyways, that's my very long and rambling and like a 30,000 foot view answer of like what we were trying to accomplish is, you know, we wanted to create something that was going to be unique. That was going to be different. That was really going to cater to the time that we're living in right now. Um, but at the end of the day, that would be a way to foster community around the world of running and put on a great show and give elite athletes a cool stage to perform on. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you were trying to do with connecting the masses, you know, all of us recreational runners who are fans of the sport with the elite runners, I already think in the the sport of running, there already is much more connection than say, you know, the NBA or the NFL, where there's almost no connection at all. At least with running, you can get on the same track or run the same course as a pro runner. You're never going to be able to get on the same field as Tom Brady and throw a football, right? But I, I think the way that you are bringing, closing that gap even more is just such a wonderful way of bringing new fans into the sport and just getting people excited about the sport of running. And this event did sound really exciting. It was a marathon relay. How many people were on a team? Yeah. So the, the logistics of it. So the elite marathon relay, um, had three people per team and they were running legs of 12 miles, eight miles and 6.2 miles. So a marathon's distance total between the three of them and teams of they were all men all women's teams and we had a total of about 20 teams competing uh all around the world so we had teams in the u.s teams in south america teams in uh south africa zimbabwe japan um you know all over the place and the idea was to have these people really have it feel like a race and that's what we tried to do with the with the broadcast was we had uh brett van dorn who's a fantastic web designer works in a lot of like the running space he's kind of our web guru and he built this beautiful back-end system that uh, i sent to you where you, the user could really see okay this is um you know this is what this team is doing this is which athlete is running this is where the athlete is in their leg um, and we had a, a live broadcast that went along with that, where I was actually one of the commentators along with Amelia Boone, who really, we tried to really talk through the storylines and, you know, you talked about kind of the story of this event. And I think that's the thing that we've really tried to highlight is like, Hey, all these athletes have amazing stories and there are amazing storylines in these sporting events. And, you know, just like, you know, people who watch Tom Brady they want not only to watch Tom Brady on the field, but they want to know like, Hey, what is, what's his story? What's, what's, you know, what makes him a unique human being? I think that we can do the same thing with runners. And, and so that's a big part of what we tried to do from, from the elite competition side is as well as present these people, not just as, Hey, here's their splits, but Hey, here's the, here's the story behind this athlete. Here's where they're running in the world. Here's, you know, what their training has been like during the lockdown, all those kinds of things. Yeah, for sure. And I think that really helps 
other people get into the sport of running. It, it forms a more of an emotional connection and you start really looking up to certain runners when you identify with their story, with their struggles, with their hard work. And I think that's just such a great way of uh, helping promote the sport of running. Uh, now, you said you had 60 teams of three. Those were just the elite runners, right? Sorry, 60 athletes. So we had 20 teams of three. Um, okay. And then, okay. yes, that's the elite field. And then beyond that, we had an open race that was completely free to enter. Um, and we had, I want to say we had almost 2,000 in total. We had, we're still kind of tallying up because some results are still trickling in, even though we said, please submit your results by Sunday night. <laughs> um, but we're still having some results trickle in um, from some stragglers. Uh, and yeah, we've got, I think, 70 plus countries represented, which is incredible. Like, almost all 50 states um yeah people from all it was just amazing to see like it, you know it, it's one of these very snowball effect kind of things where at first it was you know no okay a couple people here and there registering for the first couple weeks and then all of a sudden it just picks up steam and then looking at these registrations and it's like people are coming in from like bulgaria and you know australia and i'm like wow how did these people even hear about this it's so cool um and again i think that's one of the the perks of you know maybe not a perk but a silver lining of um you know having to kind of rely on these virtual races is you can connect with people from all over the world you can connect with people from thailand and um you know south africa and, and all these other countries that we have athletes in and i think that's that's been a very positive thing to see yeah. Now, who are the pro runners that were involved in the marathon relay? Are there folks that we might recognize? Yeah, for sure. So I think the most, um, probably the biggest American names that, that your listeners might recognize, um, Jared Ward, who is a 2016 Olympian. Um, he fielded a team in his hometown of Provo, Utah. So it was him and uh, Jake Kesslington and Clayton Young, who is a uh, NCAA 10,000 meter champion. So super accomplished team obviously with an olympian and a d1 champ on there um and they actually ended up getting second to a team based here in flagstaff where i am which was uh ahmed osman emmanuel mosul and julius Cosguy. so uh three different nationalities ahmed's an american emmanuel's eritrean and julius is a kenyan guy um so super super high level teams i think we had like I'd have to look at the numbers, but like probably 15 guys who had run under 211 or 62. And then, you know, on the women's side, we had, um, well, we had Desiree Linden, um, who was kind of our race ambassador. I would say she took part in the event, but more from the fundraising side and commentary side than she wasn't on an elite team. Um, but our winning team, uh, which was, uh, Lindsay Scherf is a U.S. champion. Um, it was actually this is one of my favorite teams. So we had we had some elites who came on with their own team, and some people who came on as what we called free agents, who were like, "Hey, I just want to be a part of this. Can you assign me to a team?" And we kind of like stacked the deck a little bit with this one team where we had three really good free agents, and they were from three different continents. It was uh, Lindsay from the United States, uh, Annie Bothma, who's from South Africa, and uh, Shiho Kaneshige, who's from Japan. Um, so we had our, our tri-continental team, um, and they ended up being the victors and, and all three of those women are extremely accomplished. I mean, like I said, Lindsay has been the U S champ. Um, Annie is, 
very new to the longer distance running, but she's been in Kenya training with Bridget Cosguy, who's the world record holder in the marathon right now um, for the last 10 months. And then um, Shiho is a 228 marathoner, 1540 5K runner. So you know, these are these are really world-class athletes. And to me, you know, like you, I'm a fan of the sport um, as well as, you know, I've, I've been competing professionally. And it's just, it's so cool to be able to even just, you know, be on the same, uh, be part of the same event as all these people, let alone be organizing it. So to me, it's, it's, it's really been just a dream come true to be able to kind of put some of this stuff together. Yeah. I can imagine just as a fan of the sport, you know, I, I kind of get to do the same thing as, you know, I get to just talk with all these elite runners for (laughs) my podcast here. And it's just amazing because I grew up following a lot of these people just earlier today. I talked to Sarah Hall and, you know, she's, someone who I grew up looking up to as just an incredible high school runner when we were both in high school at the same time. And so to be able to connect with the, you know, the, the all-stars in the sport as a fan just must be something really special. Uh, now, Tyler, can you remind me, what were the legs again for the marathon relay? And uh, I-, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, how you run a relay like this. This was done on a track, right? So the legs were 12 miles eight miles and 6.2 miles. Everyone ran them in that order. Um, and we gave people two options. So it is, you know, we were biting off a lot. I'll say that in terms of being a very small group and trying to put on something this big. Um, so one of the things that we talked about a lot before we actually announced the event and started recruiting athletes is how are we going to make this fair? How do we make it equitable and make sure, you know, there's no cheating that the times are legitimate. And so we came up basically with two options for what people would do. One is, like you said, they could just run on a standard 400 meter track. Um, That's pretty simple. uh, As long as your track is the right length, which as long as they sent us where they were running, we could verify that. That's great. Um, The other was we gave people, especially if they didn't have the opportunity, maybe your tracks are closed because of COVID, or maybe you live in, uh, you know, like rural Zimbabwe where we had a team where like you might not have access to a track. Um, And we allowed people to measure out a loop using a wheel, a measuring wheel, um, and then report that back to us. And, you know, we had a form that they had to sign that basically says, Hey, this is, this is legit. I measured this with a wheel. And uh, you know, if I qualify for prize money um, that I, do we have the right basically to go out with a wheel ourselves or send someone and remeasure it and make sure it's the right distance. Um, so that's, that was the the basic logistical system for making sure that the elite competition was, was somewhat fair. Um, you know, as fair as, as we can make it, you know, we also requested that, or excuse me, required that everybody had a witness there, um, who would sign off. So for example, like, you know, if you're running on a track, even if you cut inside of lane one, that, amount of time will add up a lot and that's not the kind of thing that you can detect on on gps um so you know there's a little bit of honor system like yeah could people cheat yeah people probably could cheat um i there's only so much that you can do about that when you have people running in 20 different countries um that you know we we did as much as we could to try and create a a fair race um but it's definitely something that's that's hard that people i think need to think about as you know, they're organizing events like this. It's like, okay, how, how do you do this? How do you like, cause you really can't just rely on GPS. You have to have it be some kind of 
you know, officially measured, you know, distance, whether it's a track or a loop. And you have to have a way of certifying that the athlete is, is running the right distance and that the times are legitimate. Now, Tyler, why can't you use GPS? Because it would seem to me that at least then you have actual data that supports the fact that a runner ran a certain distance rather than the honor system. Well, no. So, sorry, I may, maybe I should be more clear. We also ask for GPS. I'm just saying we can't only rely on GPS. And the reason for that is that GPS has too much error that when you're talking about elite sport, um, you know, 1% which is within the margin of error of most GPS devices can often mean the difference between first and 10th place in an elite marathon. So when you have a device like a GPS watch, it's great. And it, it, like I said, we asked for those so that we could verify. So it's like, at least we can tell if this person is riding a bike because we can look at things like cadence data and heart rate and stuff. Um, but we do not, um, we can't just rely on that. So the classic example is if any of your listeners have ever run on a standard 400 meter track with your GPS watch, you can go out and try this, um, run a mile on the track in one direction and then run the mile on the track in the other direction. 90% of GPS watches will record one of those distances as about 10% longer. So now we're not even talking about 1%, we're talking about 10% difference, a huge difference. Um, I have this all the time and I have some athletes that I coach who are like, Hey, like I went to the track and I'm not sure if it's the wrong distance. Cause my GPS said that like, you know, I ran a mile, like hundred meters before I actually should have like, or before I hit the, you know, my, the end of my fourth lap. And it's like, okay, just like ignore your GPS watch when you're on the track. So your GPS watches are great. They're handy tools. Um, they're great when you're out and about. Um, but they have, they do have error. And again, when we're talking about elite sport, we're talking about real prize money that's on the line, which there was here, then we have to have a way to make sure that we're not, uh, you know, giving out prize money based on the, you know, the error in a, in a, in a GPS watch. Right. And I think you're probably the only virtual race to require something in addition to that GPS data. And yep. I'm glad you do, because I have long said that GPS watches are not very accurate and you just simply can't rely on them for real, actual, exact, specific metrics for your running. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I, I don't even really answer these questions anymore. People who say, well, my half marathon PR is X, Y, Z, but you know, my watch said it was 13.4 miles. Yeah, so I yeah. always round down. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't do that. No. And, and yeah, you're right. And it's like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, if it's, you know, whatever, I'm not going to go through and tell all the 2000 finishers in our open race that they have to run on a track or something, you know, go submit your result. If you want to map it out on Google maps and then you just go do it and you pull the time off your kitchen stove or something like it's fine. Cause again, there's nothing on the line. Um, but when you're talking about a real competition, whether it's prizes or, or cash or whatever, like you have to have a way to make that fair. And, and, you know, that's the, the problem with, with the watches is like sometimes that error is relatively predictable. Like when we talked about the track, but sometimes it's not, sometimes it like I do this, a, a lot of the same runs every single, every single week, you know, I'll do the same run three times in a week and it'll be off by a little bit each time. And it's like, I'm literally doing the same exact route. And you know, that amount of error, like you said, it could be the difference between 13.1 and 13.2, which might seem kind of inconsequential, but if, 
if that's the deterrent, you know, our, our race, our men's race, for example, in the elite relay was decided by 25 seconds. That's less than a hundred meters at these, or excuse me, just over a hundred meters, like 120 meters of distance. So it's like, that's a minuscule amount, 0.06 miles or something. So if you have that level of um, competition and it's that close, you can't have any error. It has to be accurate. For sure. And, you know, you can look at pro track races where, and even in college, you know, at, at the university level, they use fully automatic timing because they want those results down to the hundredth of a second. And 1% sounds like a small amount, but, you know, to put that in perspective, if you're a pro marathoner, you're running, let's say two hours and 10 minutes in the marathon, 10% is about a minute and a half. And 1%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that is about that's an eternity when you're yeah. talking about racing and winning prize money and like you said the difference between first and 10th. Uh so I'm I'm glad that you addressed the shortcomings of GPS in this event. <laughs> yeah, it's a great tool. Like like a lot of things, it's a great tool um but it it, it can only be part of the system. For sure. Now, Tyler, what was the uh, what was the thinking among a lot of these runners going into an event like this? Did they have formal race strategies for the relay, or were they just going to go out there and run as hard as they could for for every leg? That's a great question. It's funny. I talked to Jared Ward about this. Uh, he and I did a little Q and A in the lead up to the race, and he had done another much smaller scale virtual thing where I think it was just a duel. It was like him against one other runner, Jake Riley, where they were each running in their own like home area. I don't remember if it was a track or a road loop or something, but he told me like, you know, when I'm out there running in a race, I know exactly where my competitors are. I can kind of like get a sense of like if they're tired and it's like, if I break away and I'm way ahead, I can kind of relax. But when I'm running in a virtual race, like I don't have that. I I just like, I'm always running scared because I'm always like, okay, he must be like right behind me. So, or maybe he's even right in front of me and there, and like, there's no mental let up the whole time. So I think it is really interesting, like how the race strategy changes a little bit there where you don't have as much feedback. And you know, one of the things that we tried to do again with that, that live tracker that I, I sent to you, Jason was, not only for the fans to allow to allow them to engage with it, but also to let the elite athletes see, hey, this is where all the other teams are. Hey, you know, Jared's team is is you know already at this point, and they're running this pace and this leg, which means like you know we really have to pick it up. And again, that's part of the benefit of these shorter loop courses that people are running on or tracks is that you can interact with your athletes a lot more. So if you have your coach there or your partner or whomever that is, your team, your teammates on your relay team they can actually give you information live as it's happening and say hey yeah you know we're we're 20 seconds behind team flagstaff we've really got to pick it up here um we got to have a, a strong last couple miles and and you know we can close this out and win um so i think that kind of did help it feel a little bit more like a real race but i think you know it's it's just getting used to like this is this is the world that we're living in right now and unless you're you know Elliot Kipchoge or you know one of these top kind of 10 to 20 in the world caliber athletes, like there aren't a whole lot of elite competitions where you're going to be able to race in person for a bit. And that's really what we've been trying to do is just like get creative and think of like, okay, well, what, what can we do? What can we put on? That's going to, that's going to feel like a race, both for these guys, the athletes themselves and the fans. 
Yeah. And at the end of the day, runners got a race, right? You know, yeah. we have this drive to occasionally get in a race and, and see what we can do. And without those opportunities, I feel like a lot of us are going a little stir crazy right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know, I know I am, I know a lot of other runners are, I think it's, uh, it's been, yeah, it's been a weird year in that sense. And I think, you know, you have people who are really, really fit and like, you know, Bowerman track club showed that, you know, they can run really fast and get really fit without any external competitions and they can do it all themselves. And that's fantastic. But I think a lot of people, they do want that accountability and motivation of having something on their calendar, having a big event to work towards. You know, I know a lot of athletes who are like, Oh yeah, I was training for Boston, you know, and then, you know, got postponed to September and then I was pushing back to September and then it went virtual. And it's like, it's just, you know, it's not the same, but you, you have to like, I think you have to roll with the punches a little bit and be like, okay, like I'm not going to be running down Boylston street maybe with, you know, hundreds of people around me, but I can still keep that thing on my calendar that keeps me motivated. So I, you know, I think virtual racing, no, it's not the same. Will it just replace real racing quote unquote forever no i don't think so i think there's a lot of stuff that happens in a real race that you just can't simulate in a virtual competition but is it better than nothing yeah for sure it's better than nothing and are there things that we can do better to help create that kind of community vibe and that kind of accountability and like that sense of excitement and race day feeling yeah i think there's there's a lot that we can do there yeah, and you certainly have. And I can't agree more that having something on the calendar to pursue is something that gives runners a lot of drive and motivation to keep moving forward with their training. And it always reminds me of that phrase, you know, the uh, the pursuit of happiness. And I think it's almost backwards. It's almost, you know, the happiness of pursuit, pursuing things like big goals that you have trying to get a PR, trying to finish a new distance, the the happiness that you find in life is because you are pursuing things and experiencing progress. And that's just one of the most amazing things that I love about running is that I do think working hard at it is such a great avenue for happiness. Yeah, there's, there's a great old uh, quote that I had printed out and written on my wall in college which is that the process is the goal. And it came from Bill Ayres, who was a legendary high school coach. And he, I, I remember listening to this podcast with him, must like, gosh, like 10 years ago. And he talked about how he really tried to instill this message in his runners. And it's something that my high school coach instilled in me, which is exactly what you said. It's the happiness of pursuit. I've never heard, heard it reversed like that. I love it. But um, it's that you, you find the joy and the fulfillment in the process and then the, that is the goal and then the the kind of numeric or or, or whatever the qu quantitative goals will come from that that if you love the process and you find joy in that pursuit then the external validation will follow it's just if you, you have to be patient but again the patience isn't as much of an issue if you do get that happiness from pursuit so yeah, I, I love that. I, I'm someone who is very motivated by the process of self-improvement. Um, but I, you know, I like to have goals. I like to have milestones that I'm working towards because it's not always fun. 
Um, the pursuit is not always happy. Um, there are days where it's really hard just to get out the door. And that's at every level. Everybody feels that way, whether you're, you know, Mo Farah or you're, you know, couch to 5k runner, like there's, there are going to be days where you feel great and you are so excited to get outside and do your run. And there are going to be days that are a slog. And it's about like that big picture, like, okay, are you, do you finish that run feeling like, okay, I'm really glad that I did that. And like my, the rest of my day is going to be better because I did that versus not having done it. Um, And I think that's where that joy in the process and the pursuit of goals really comes from. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. And I do have to give credit to Chris Gillibo. He's an author, entrepreneur who wrote a book called The Happiness of Pursuit that I read maybe about five years ago. So <laughs> it's not really my line, but I think <laughs> it's just a fantastic way of looking at hard work because it really does um, just open yourself up to that personal growth that does give you a lot of happiness in your life. Uh, now, Tyler, I, I want to talk a little bit more about this live tracking because you kind of blew my mind a little bit. I have been live tracking runners that I've been coaching at the Boston Marathon and other big marathons. And then also, you know, just following the pro runners, you know, on different tracking apps and things like that. And the experience is never very good. And <laughs> what you have done is solved the live tracking problem. Like you have- a much better platform than even the Boston Marathon, which is kind of amazing to say. What can we can we roll this out to all the major yeah. races? So first of all, this is all Brett. This is Brett Van Dorn of Massachusetts. Uh, year in Running is his uh, development website. He does all kinds of awesome running stuff. He actually has a new app called Evening Run. I'll give them a shout out. It's a weather app specifically designed for runners, and it just boils your current weather down to a number from one to 10. So it factors in everything like sun and humidity and wind and things like that. But anyways, shout out to Brett, year and running, Evening Run, check him out. The thing, the thing that he did, um, again, the reason I'm giving him a shout out is because he did all this. Like I kind of like helped him come up with like how we can do this, but I am not a programmer. I'm not a front end developer. That's all on him. Um, And he built this all himself. So the things that it's funny because it's like, it's kind of high tech, but it's also almost like we took a step backwards, which is like, I think a lot of races rely on chip timing or, um, you know, GPS tracking on some of these newer apps that like track with your phone and stuff. And we didn't do any of that. We had it such that everything was actually manual. So all of our runners had a assistant, handler, coach, teammate, someone who was actually just manually entering their splits um, as they went by each lap. So for example, if you're running on a track, um, you literally just have someone with their phone out and every time they go by, they say, okay, that was a 75. Okay. That was a 75. Okay. That was 77. And what happens is that the more data that the app is getting, the better it's going to be because, because what you see is a little avatar moving across the screen, but the avatar is moving across the screen based on the speed of the last split that it gave. So it's like, if you only get two splits in a 12 mile leg, it's not going to be that accurate because you know, it's just going to assume that you're moving the same pace for the entire first six miles. And then, you know, whatever the next pace is for the next six miles, and then you're going to be done. 
Now, if you have splits coming in every minute or so, it's going to be pretty accurate. And you're going to be able to see when people are passing each other and when they're moving around. Um, but you have to have those data coming in regularly. So, you know, it works very well. It's a beautiful system. Um, it's very intuitive for the fan to be able to follow. Uh, I, I Again, it, like you said, it kind of amazes me that some of the presentation of this stuff isn't better and easier on some of these bigger competitions like you know in the Boston marathon or even in a you know in a diamond league race a track meet where they have so much data that they're getting during those races and if you think about watching like nascar or like the kentucky derby or something they have so much data about hey this is how fast they're going this is uh, the pace they're running on this is like what position everybody's in et cetera, et cetera. and i just think again going back to how do we make the elite side of the sport more approachable to fans that's a big part of it you know racing itself is really exciting but the way that most running racing events are covered makes it hard for someone who doesn't have a pretty high level of literacy about the sport already to be able to engage with that in a way that is entertaining for them is fun to watch. So that's, that's really what we try to do is like, Hey, how do, from the most simple perspective, it's like, if, you know, my mom who I love my mom, she's not a huge running nerd or anything. She obviously follows the sport a little bit, but it's like, if my mom turned on this broadcast, could she understand what's going on and would it be exciting to her? And so that was really kind of what we tried to start with. And, and, you know, Brett built this amazing system that I think did a pretty good job with that. It seems like this is a really interesting avenue for providing more context around a race and really giving the viewers an idea of what's happening in the race. Because typically, let's say you're watching a 10K on the track, it's in the Olympics. What are the announcers talking about? What information are you getting? You're typically only getting the total time. You might be getting the lap split of the leaders, but with more information, they could really quantify, you know, how fast are they really going? Let's talk about it in terms of miles per hour. Let's talk about, you know, any slowdowns that are happening. Let's talk about how much force these runners have to produce to run at these speeds in a way to contextualize it in a way that really allows the non-fan or the person who's not a huge track nerd to understand you know, how, just how fast these runners are going, because you can turn on a, a fast men's 10 K and watch guys running four fifteen mile pace around the track. And honestly, it doesn't even look that fast, but it's only fast if you were right next to them, or if you just heard their breathing in their footsteps, or if you actually tried to run next to them, you, you probably wouldn't be able to do it for very long. And I think all of that, that visceralness of the race can be better explained and presented to the viewer with all that extra information that's coming out of the race. Yeah, I think running is a sport that could benefit from the amount of data that are created every time that people run. And you're starting to see a tiny bit of that. You know, I've seen on like marathon broadcasts, they'll talk about like, oh, this person's ground contact time has gone up in over the course of the race like there have been a few where I've, I've seen things like that or you know where they clearly have a couple little extra pieces of of equipment on an athlete and they're kind of tracking things like that but again it's like to me that's almost more for like 
you and me, you know, <laughs> like that's for like the people who are really nerding out about like the science of the sport and stuff. It's like, you know, again, going back not to not to keep bringing up my mom, like my mom doesn't even isn't going to understand what that means, or like isn't going to care about that. And it's not going to make the race more exciting to her. But like what you just said, it's like ways that we can contextualize how fast they're running. Um, that I think can be really powerful. And, and one of the things that I've seen that does this really well is uh, I can't remember where it was. It was some race expo I was at, but they literally had like a giant treadmill with like a like pole vault map behind it basically set up where like they would set it at like Elliot Kipchoge's world record marathon pace. And it was like, how long can you run a, like normal people at this big race expo? Like how long can you run at Elliot Kipchoge's marathon pace? And for most people, it was like 10 seconds, basically. And it's like an all out sprint. And I think that's a really powerful way of showing that of being like, you know, even if you're just like cutting in a video clip of that, of being like, Hey, this is how fast these guys run. Because yeah, when you watch Elliot Kipchoge run 201 in the marathon, he looks relaxed. It's unbelievable. And like, even for me as a pro athlete, running that pace is really hard. Running 430 mile pace is not easy. And for a normal person, that's like basically a sprint. So I think there are ways that we can highlight that, that we can, you know, in the same way that, you know, it, we, we kind of, because we're raised in a culture in America where, you know, football and basketball and baseball are, are really popular sports. Like we know how hard it is to, you know, hit a home run off of a really fast fastball or, you know, how we know what it's like to try and shoot a three pointer or to shoot a free throw or whatever, but we don't know what it's like to try and run four thirty mile pace when we just hear that number. So I think that's, I, again, another thing that we can do for the sport is just like provide more context of like, this is, what these what these people are doing is truly exceptional and extraordinary and it's I, I yeah i think that there's the more that we can do that the better that it's going to be for the sport as a whole yeah i can't agree more with that i think uh we're going to see some really exciting things come out of this unfortunate time that we're in right now and perhaps a silver lining here is that there might be combining, you know, the the interactivity of this live tracking idea that we've been talking about, as well as more context in commentating a, a race, and also just in the data that we're getting, I think we're going to be able to tell better stories about running itself and the runners who are competing. And I think that's going to grow the sport. And it's just going to be amazing for, for running nerds like you and me, uh, who, who really want all this extra information. Uh, now, I think a big story that came out of this event that we haven't talked about yet is the fundraising side of things. Uh, you said Des Linden participated in that. Uh, and I read on the website that you raised a fair amount of money. So can you talk a little bit more about the fundraising goals and what you guys were able to do? Yeah. So again, fundraising, I think is, is for good reason, very, very closely tied with running, you know, between the, the kind of culture of fundraising with marathons and the Boston Marathon, their fundraising entry system. I think it's something that a lot of people are very, very deeply invested in. And I think it makes sense because running inherently is a pretty selfish pursuit. It's something it's, you know, for most people running is about me and my goals and my fitness and my health. And I think that the fundraising aspect is a really good way to connect with the greater world. So, okay, 
I really want to run my marathon. I really want to, you know, hit my BQ or hit my personal best or whatever that is. But at the same time, I want to try and use that passion that I have for my own goals and also redirect it towards something else that's meaningful for the wider world. So I think that really motivated us to try and include that. And it, it really started with, I talked to Justin Grunwald, who is the founder of Brave Like Gabe, which is a rare cancer research foundation that um, was founded by Justin and uh, his wife, Gabe Grunwald, who sadly passed away um, a little over a year ago of a, of a rare cancer. And Justin's an MD and, you know, they started this research foundation while she was, uh, while she was still alive and have raised, I mean, millions of dollars for, um, for rare cancer research. And his story just really touched me. I, I actually had a pretty serious childhood illness myself when I was about seven years old. Um, and so we just really connected over that. And this was actually before the event was even really a thing. We were just kind of, we just connected through a friend and, he and I started talking and it seemed like the perfect connection with the tie to, to running and fundraising and, you know, with Gabe and Justin is also a very high level runner himself. So it was just a really natural fit to partner with them for this event. And we started talking with Des, um, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago. And, um, Gabe, Gabe Grunwald was a Brooks athlete and Des is also a Brooks athlete. So she was already associated with the organization that was, one of the reasons that she was willing to kind of hop on and come on board and help out. And, you know, I remember talking to her and it's again, <laughs> kind of going back to like what you were saying about talking to Sarah Hall for me, it's like, Oh my God, I'm talking to Des is crazy. Um, <laughs> I was like fangirling a little bit. Uh, but talking to her about fundraising or, or excuse me about the race, it was like, she was like, yeah, you know, I, I really want to support this, but I'm not sure if, like I want to be in this race because I'm just like not that fit right now. You know, I've like taken some time off and I'm kind of just getting back in shape and et cetera, et cetera. So we came up with the idea to have her ascend to have her auction off to um, you know, spots on her relay team was the idea. So, you know, these three person relay teams and we're gonna auction off two spots. And, you know, the person would get a bunch of swag from Brooks and from us and from Athletic Brewing, which is one of our sponsors. Um, and, but they would also get the opportunity to, you know, quote unquote, run with Des virtually, be on our team. They got some, you know, a private Zoom call with her and kind of like pre-race pep talk and some social shout outs and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, we raised like just with that auction with those two events, they went for or those two spots on the team. I think those each went for about sixteen hundred dollars. So that was three thousand dollars right there and then the other thing that we did differently this time was again like i said at the start we we wanted to have an event that was totally free to register um because from a virtual race perspective like it doesn't really cost us anything more to have 10 people or a thousand people so we really really wanted to make this accessible and so we said okay it's going to be free the same thing as last time our events are free um what we did differently was we just had everything else that you might want be a la carte. So we had race medals and t-shirts and, you know, yada, 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 some other swag, but all of that, uh, the funds from those as well went to brave like Gabe. So we actually yeah, raised, uh, I think probably close to $10,000 at this point, all told. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a super, super successful event. Um, again, for me, 
I'm super motivated just to put together an awesome elite event to put together something where we have a couple thousand runners from around the world participating. Um, but I think having that charity element as well is just, it makes it even more motivating. It makes it a better story for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And you're just doing such an incredible job bringing the running community together at a time when the running community can't really be together. And I think that's something that the entire running world so appreciates right now. Are you planning any other events like this in the future, maybe this fall? Yeah, so we have one other event planned um, right now. That's for November 28th. And originally, this was actually going to be looped into this event, but we decided to separate it out and do its own thing. And so the idea here is, uh, I'll take a step back. Um, So we had the um the 50k is the standard ultra marathon like the first excuse me the first ultra marathon distance like that's standard beyond the marathon um and i've been on the us 50k national championship team for um the last three cycles and the us sends a team to worlds worlds is a big deal for ultra runners um and unfortunately like everything else it was supposed to be this fall it was canceled and I was talking to some of the other athletes on my team who are also 50K runners. Um, and we were talking about just like setting up a fast 50K where some of us could go for, you know, whatever, a, a, a record time or a PR or whatever that might be. And we realized like, hey, we actually know a lot of the athletes who are going to be at this event. Like it's, an, it's a small world. And so we said, what if we just did this ourselves? Like, you know, the IAU, the International Association of Ultra Runners, puts this event on and it was going to be in Amman, Jordan. Um, but obviously we can't have athletes from all over the world flying to Jordan to race. So what if we just do this the same way that we did the relay? We have people running around the world at the same time. So we're calling it the unofficial world championships, uh, unofficial 50K world championships. And we have, I think, athletes from maybe like 20 countries at this point. And these are, these are elites. But, so this theoretically should be a much bigger field of elite athletes. Um, you know, I'd like to have 30 countries represented. And we're going to have an individual competition, obviously, which will be over 50 kilometers, which is 31 miles. And then we'll also have a team competition, which the way that they score it in the ultra world is the, the top three team members times are added together and then it's you know lowest total finish time wins um so that is the next big event unofficial 50k world championships um now of course we will also have an open race there we our our group chosky endurance collective is kind of founded we have very very strong roots in the ultra running world so um we will have an open 50k and then we'll also have a a 50k relay again so that you know if you don't want to run an entire 50k there will be the option to to be on a relay team, um, run a shorter distance. So that will, uh, the details are actually already up on the, on the site. If people want to check it out, uh, it's chosky.run slash challenge, same as the, as the last pay, uh, excuse me, as the last event. Um, but we'll have a lot more on that coming out in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Tyler. So it's chosky. That's C H A S K I dot run slash challenge. That's right. You got a great, uh, uh, end of your domain name there dot run <laughs> i wish it was i had strength running dot run that sounds awesome <laughs> you can probably get it the dot run uh uh i forget what they're called um like don domain name endings or something um the the dot run is pretty new there's a lot of dot runs um 
we chasky.run was taken but we we have a we have a few different uh chasky urls but that's that's the one that we're working with right now well, great, Tyler. I, this was so cool to hear about this amazing event. And uh, I hope any runners who are interested in participating in your next event, go on to the website, learn more about it. I'll have a link to it uh, in the show notes for this episode. Um, Tyler, you're just doing some some really great work right now, connecting runners, highlighting the stories in the running community, and I think moving the sport forward. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all that you have been doing for the running community. Uh, And I hope your next event is even more successful than your first. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been a lot of fun. Hey, this is Jason one more time to say thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. To learn more about upcoming virtual races being put on by Tyler, visit chasky.run slash challenge. And another big thanks to Path Projects for supporting this podcast. Since the last time they sponsored an episode, I've got another shipment in from Path. I know, I might have a problem, but I couldn't resist. I got another two baseliners, because you never have too many pairs of baseliners, two more t-shirts, and another pair of the Sykes 5-inch shorts. They're like my unofficial weekend uniform. They work for errands, chores, hikes with the family, playing with the kids, yard work, you name it. So if you are in the market for new shorts or baseliners or running shirts, I highly recommend Path Projects. You've probably noticed that I'm wearing a lot of their gear in many of my latest YouTube videos. It's that good that I wear their stuff whenever it's clean. And now that we've partnered for months, I can confidently say that their gear is durable. Six months in and I'm still loving it. The shorts that I wear probably two to three times a week still look amazing with no visible signs of wear. That's because they use a Japanese fiber called Tore Prime Flex. It's strong, it's light, it's durable. Plus, because they're online only and they don't have that typical retailer markup, their stuff is pretty affordable. I can't say enough good things about this company, so I hope you'll see what they're all about at pathprojects.com. Thank you for listening and being part of this running community. If you have a question or just need something, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm here to help. Until next time. 